Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppsFlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppsFlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppsFlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsflyers.com. Hey everybody and welcome to This Week in Game episode 144. We got the two Eric's while Adam is still cottaging and we got to do this one quick because Mr. Suford is flying out to UK any minute. So so articles for today are we're going to talk about Blizzard uh, Blizzard president out in wake of discrimination lawsuit and employee walkout. We're going to talk about Tencent tanking 10% after Chinese media calls online gaming opium opium as regulatory concerns mount and quickly talk about riot games mobile titles generating over 100 million dollars how's eric how are the erics doing 
Dude, you got to bring up the energy, dude. What's going on? Did you not get any sleep last night? How do you know that? I was up from like 4.30 a.m. kind of doing a little work. So. <laughs> doing, doing work or changing diapers? Um, no, I did the, uh, the diaper changing like towards the midnight and then continue to work at 4 a.m. So, you know, kind of burning the candles from both ends. I, 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 had, a, I had a similar sleep schedule, so I'm, I'm a little bit uh, slow today. <laughs> <laughs> and you well, shaved. I'll, I'll have to keep up the energy for all of us because I am good. Are you amped up today, Eric? You, you pissed off? <laughs> oh man, you have no idea the 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 ranting that was going on when I was listening to the Activision earnings call. Oh my lord, it's it is it is profound. Like how what kind of spin that's going on out there, you know? But the stock's back up a little bit today after getting just trounced over the last couple of days. You know, I don't know. Investors just love this company, dude. They love this company. They what, can what do is, no wrong. What is the spin about? Like, is is it is the spin regarding the uh, the harassment allegations and that kind of stuff, or just the? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it, it's more of like listening to people talk about you know this the, the situation and just kind of spinning spinning it in a way that really doesn't make any sense. You know about how well, we'll we'll get to it a little bit later, mm-hmm. but like how Jay Allen is kind of like getting pushed out or you know basically kicked out for more for lack of a better work term when it's unclear is how much responsibility he bears right but we'll give it we'll get to it all in right, a minute. all right all right i all mean right. i think it's, it's really interesting but the, again my thing is i listen to so many pundits and i sorry let, let me actually be clear on this point so i listen to the company i listen to people that i know that are familiar with the situation and then i listen to the other media people whether it's youtubers or other people that are doing like you know, doing commentary on it. And it's like the amount of disinformation that's going on is just so insane and much of kind of like the lies and the, and the, and the, and the, and the, you know, the, the company's like spin is just so incredibly frustrating. It's like, that's it. I mean, <laughs> this is where I live, you know, so I got to figure this out and we'll get to it in a minute about what uh, this all means. So Eric, are you looking forward uh, Suford, Are you looking forward to your long flight? How long is the flight from you're flying from Houston to London? It's it's nine hours. It's not bad. It's it's overnight. And yes. then on the way back, I uh, just work all day. Right. Like it's yeah. like, you know, it's actually good timing because I'll like have a full work day and then I land at like 545. Anyway, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm moderately excited. And uh, my wife can probably hear me say this, but, you know, uh, <laughs> it'll be the it'll be the first like, well, not the first, but it'll be like the first stretch away from time in in a long time away from the baby duty. So, <laughs> oh, man, no, but dude, not yeah. to, dude yeah. just the, just the COVID lockdown is like got us like completely isolated with our own families you know like how much how much family time can you actually bear you know it's good to get out for a while you know well the divorce rates are pretty high so <laughs> apparently yeah, not it might, might be ticking up by one my wife just uh, slammed the door <laughs> to my office <laughs> so i guess i should have closed the door before we started recording Uh-oh. drama all right let's run through the uh, the updates real quick so my first one is from Winterbeat. actually the uh, the title was why jam city canceled it's 1.2 billion dollar spac and of course they clickbaited me. They got, they got me. The article was, as a part of the deal, Jam City said it was going to acquire the Montreal-based game publisher Ludia for $175 million. And Jam City had more than 825 employees and nine studios at the end of the first quarter. If it succeeded acquiring Ludia, that would have added 
400 employees. So the company has 31 million monthly active users, as it reported in May. And then when Jam City announced the SPAC in May, the stock price for DPCM, which was the SPAC, stayed flat rather than rate rising. So weirdly enough, this article didn't give any answer why the uh, the SPAC got canceled, other than maybe insinuating that the stock price was flat and that's why it was canceled. So my take as, you know, as with the previous week, and I would like to hear this from somebody from the listeners, my take is that the uh, the reason it got canceled was that the installs were in decline and the, the acquisition of Ludia, while it's definitely a solid move and Ludia is a, is a strong developer, it's really not that of an exciting move and the company wasn't that exciting and it couldn't really show the potential growth. I haven't really looked in Jam City that much as of late, but they have definitely slipped from the top of the puzzle category and they haven't really been able to launch any significant new games for for, for quite a while. Harry Potter remains their main title and it has declined to some extent. Also, you have to remember that with the East Africa game, the licensing costs must be pretty hefty. So as a reference, just to end this update, their install were close to Rovio's. So Rovio's monthly installs, theirs are at 3 million a month. And with Rovio, there are 7 million a month. So I'm just using as a reference point. And Rovio's valuation, I think, is between 400 and 500 million. And their revenue slipped to 25 million from 30, uh, sorry, from 20, from 25 millions to about 20 millions inside of six months. So there's definitely a decline in both installs as well as revenues. And I think that really cost potentially them to, to cancel the spec. But again, according to my limited sources with this company, it seems like they're pretty okay. And, and nobody was, you know, beating them, themselves up after this, but it's, it's wait, 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 we covered this last week. It's, it's really, really simple calculus, right? You put your name out there, you put your financials out there, you put your forecasts out there. People either like it or they don't like it. And the SPAC stock didn't respond. And so therefore it just got pulled, right? And ultimately it's for the exact same reasons that we talked about months ago, yeah. is that these they're declining revenue into the IPO. Their margins are the lowest in the entire category of companies at like 5%. Their growth rates in the out years make no sense because they have this like risky pipeline of core games that are going to be impacted by IDFA. I just don't think there's an, there was an appetite for this. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's pretty much that simple. So until they have, you know, material change of a big game that comes out that like improves their profitability, improves their growth rates, improves that they can actually release games and grow. I, I think this is going to be a tough sell. And well, I, I don't even see it as an acquisition. Well, it could be an acquisition. Actually, it could, it could be an acquisition, potentially. Yeah. Probably solid acquisition in that sense. They're they're quite stable, nevertheless, despite the uh, the decline in revenue. Yeah, but they're not profitable. So, like, no one wants an unprofitable. Oh, entity. they're not. They're not profitable. Barely five percent margins, right? And and in order for them to grow, they need to invest. They're in a, a total dilemma here, right? Where they need to, in order to grow, they need to invest, but they they hinder their profitability as they continue to invest. So it's like they need a hit. You know, they need a, they need a scalable hit. Got it. All right. So that's that's for them. Uh, I definitely got baited. So I just wrote based on that. Anyway, next update. Yeah, I, I got yeah. I got baited by that article, too. I thought right? I was going to read like some insider info right? here. And it, it's just I was like, like, God damn you, Venture yeah. Beat. Oh, my God. They, they do this all the time. Like they, they've become actually quite clickbaity. Good for them. But <laughs> but I got baited by this. The title was great. So shout out to the editor. Anyways, Tencent. Uh, next up. We can skip that. We can skip this one because he's going to cover it. So. Okay. 
Got it. Uh, so next update, uh, NetBarble is to acquire SpinX Games for $2.2 billion. So SpinX Games is a mobile game publisher. Uh, so, sorry, NetMarble is a mobile game publisher, and they're acquiring the mobile casino game developer SpinX. And NetMarble will purchase 100% of the company shares for $2.2 billion as their publisher aims to add new genre to its catalog. Now, I'm not very familiar with Social Casino, so I went to Sensor Tower and looked at the, the Spinex, a solid company. Like They started in 2017 and, and basically have been growing ever since. And as of date, uh, according to Sensor Tower, they're making about $35, $36 million in net revenue a month. They have three very strong you know, over $10 million a month games, Cash Frenzy Casino, lots of slots, and Jackpot World. And, and yeah, looking looking really peachy. So congrats to Netmarble for, for a great addition to the portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this company has had an amazing run. I used They used to be called Grand Games. I don't know much about this company, actually, to be honest. They're kind of mm-hmm. off my radar, but they renamed themselves. But I, I actually, I'm not really too sure that this is a great time to buy a social casino with IDFA looming and, and the impact on any new games that come out. But the numbers look really, really impressive and they continue to grow. So that's good. And the other like inside thing is that, you know, Netmarble Kabam in what, 2017? And since that time, they really haven't had much success in terms of growth. I mean, for contest of champions is still killing it after all this time but their but their games since that time have been kind of a train wreck which included transformers as well as <laughs> realm of champions which <laughs> another freaking moba right that looks like a train wreck and disney mirrorverse which is in like you know beta hell right now trying to figure out how to make that game work so anyway so netmarble strategy was to get more exposure to the west and social casino is not a bad place to be and this company seems to be working pretty well right now but but i i i really do question whether or not they can actually grow or continue to grow or add additional titles to the mix given kind of the challenges going forward with social casino so we'll see all right and last update for me is the uh, the playing buying finland's mobile studio future play and it says, the title says they're expanding into casual games. So Plarium has had casual games before. They had the puzzle game that I kind of forgot, but Plarium is definitely known more for mid-core games, more for their Forex games, as well as Raid Shadow Legends. But they're pushing into, into casual games and Future Play, of course, uh, Helsinki-based studio, really great people there. I don't know. I don't know what to say other than massive congratulations and the fact that we actually called this in January, that, that Future Play is definitely on the short list of being acquired by one of these companies. And I think Plarium is a great acquirer as, as pretty much every Israeli games publisher, they're strong operators, and I'm sure they'll find a totally different level of scale with Plarium. So great thing for, for Finnish gaming ecosystem and for the uh, future play games. All right. Yeah. I only have one update. Just, just to say uh, congrats oh, to those guys. I've known yeah. Nami for a long time. They've been yeah. just plugging away and uh, happy to see them succeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. We we worked at the at the studio that right Yummy was running. So Digital Chocolate Helsinki was the one, and I always remember he 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 had this. <laughs> okay, see that there was a meeting called the Ice Meeting, which meant that we went and played NHL. He was so hooked, and he got me so hooked on NHL. And when I visited them when they started working, when they started Future Play, there was five of them, and I. I worked with the other couple of founders. They were working out of a like a ex shoe store, so it was like a ground level little 
place and they did have a playstation there and they did have nhl and, and he was like yes here it is so we're playing so i hope yummy yummy gets to uh hone in his nhl skills to perfection and and yeah enjoy his run as a part of uh Plarium. all right i only have one update and it's just about my hopeless addiction to mmos so Based upon all this conversation around World of Warcraft and the exodus to Final Fantasy because all these, you know, the influencers are, are moving over and stuff, I had to try it again, right? And so I've been playing like a crack addict for like a week, you know, like it is like, it is too much, you know, getting into these type of games are bad, bad, bad juju in my, <laughs> sometimes for me anyway, right? So my productivity has come to a screaming halt. The game itself, the number of systems and things to do is insane. The class system is still one of the coolest features. You basically equip an item and you're you're that new. And basically, I think like for all these WoW people, it's like this is like an action story based RPG with a deep MMO features, while WoW is kind of a deep MMO with some story. So that's kind of the big difference between the two. You know, I tried the game ages ago, but it was really didn't grab me. But the experience is pretty amazing. You know, the discovery project, pro, progression that you know, the really cool gear, all that stuff. So, but it, my only gripe for anybody that's going to try this thing out or coming over from WoW or somewhere else is that the length of leveling is ridiculously long. And it's not like you're leveling, you're level because you have to get through all the story beats, right? And so they want you to experience all the story beats. So that way you're just stuck in constant dialogue menus and NPCs. It's, it, 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 it's actually egregious. And particularly between the different expansions, you know, with 10 years of content, you know, you can't really skip it. So it takes quite a while, but I think I am a convert for now. It's like, at least until the next wow expansion, a year and a half from now, I think I'm going to stick with this game. So anyway, that's my big update. I'm, I'm looking at, so is it called final fantasy fourth 14, a realm reborn? Yeah. 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 So do you like ride on this chicken around this? Yes, basically <laughs> it's crazy. The other thing is the anime thing. My, and my son is giving me a hard time because I, because he fucking hates anime, which I've I, never really liked anime either. But but they it is really over the top because of the 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 setting they just can do crazy shit with mechs mm -hmm. and like big old like whale like creatures like pounding I mean, it's nuts it's nuts like it is a pretty nutty game so I but it, if you are bored with WoW it's definitely worth a shot and it is a good MMO okay yeah it looks cool I would never play this but it looks cool good for you Eric all right let's talk about MMOs and, and MOBAs and so forth let's talk about Riot Games so there was a Sensor Tower article that said Riot Games mobile titles generate over 100 million dollars so this is 100 million dollars in global player spending to date on mobile and League of Legends generated the most player spending which is over 60%, actually 65% of all the publishers' mobile revenues. And they have a nice chart and they show that the uh, League of Legends Wild Rift has made 65 million till date, uh, Teamfight Tactics 28, and Legends of Runeterra 16 million. They're talking about majority of player spending coming in from the United States, making 26% of total mobile spending with South Korea close behind at 22%. And they mentioned that looking ahead, there's two big milestones for Riot Mobile. That is, of course, the Wild Rift entering Chinese market and their plan to release Valorant on mobile in, in future. So my analysis, let's let's be clear. It's well documented that I'm a huge fan of Teamfight Tactics to a point where, where I'm getting as angry as Eric because of their battle pass, but I I still I still very much like it. I've played Rune Terra. I was pretty much one and done with that. It was so similar to 
to the uh, shit, what's the um hearthstone yeah to hearthstone and i was like okay i know where this game is heading i don't have time for this and i played wild rift for for at least a couple of weeks until i kind of was reminded why i don't like mobas with their complicated gear systems and so forth and so forth so the analysis itself 100 million is a lot of money that's that's a fact but that's still gross revenue and it's over nearly a couple of years and for a publisher that makes between 1.5 billion to 2 billion a year from their pc game furthermore when you look at the downloads you can see that the these brand extensions meaning team fight tactics and legends of runeterra are not really performing that well on mobile so team fight tactics has about 6 million installs and legends of runeterra only a little bit over 3 million installs overall on mobile during the lifetime and league of legends which accumulated 65 million has almost 50 million installs till date and when you look at the revenue trends it's pretty clear that runeterra on mobile is about a 1 million dollar a month game now you have to take it into account that usually with these type of cross-platform games that were first launched on pc the, the revenue on the pc side could be 80 percent of total revenue so this game could be you know financially pretty good but it's definitely not massive tft is making about two million a month in gross revenue on mobile and again if 80 percent of that revenue is coming in from pc it's it's not a bad one wild rift is purely mobile game and it's you know it's impressive um Generally speaking, it makes about seven to ten million dollars a month. In March, the game looked super iffy, and it actually was in a bit of a decline. They had a massive push of content with up to four champions added in an update and several updates that, that were coming in. They got the runes, the skins, the events, and, and all kinds of con content coming in. But nevertheless, when you compare them to, let's say, Brawl Stars or, or Mobile Legends, Mobile Legends Bang Bang, so you can see that compared to these two different MOBAs, the game is really underperforming because nine months after the launch, so Wild Rift has been out for nine months, Wild Rift is, is making that solid 5 million net. Mobile Legends was making at this point almost eight, and Brawl Stars was making at this point nearly 20. And, and yeah, it's, it's a different strategy. So Brawl Stars came in hot. They had a massive surge of revenues and kind of declined, but still declined to be a much bigger than League of Legends currently. And then Mobile Legends started kind of like Wild Rift, where they had a pretty modest start, but kept growing month after month ever since. Whereas we can see from the Wild Rift's graph that it's not really growing as steadily as, as Riot perhaps was, was uh, expecting. But I want to end this on a positive note. It is fantastic. Not fantastic. It's just like a unique IP. Uh, they have the great teams. They have all the resources. They got the China launch ahead. I think Valorant Mobile is going to be very interesting. And um, I stay bullish about Riot. I think they can find the way to execute because they have the, all the resources and all the time in the world. And yeah, I just want to end up on the note of tft like come on guys we can do more <laughs> let's let's please you know add some basic elements to it to actually uh monetize that game i know it has a lot of potential but eric what's your take what i'm uh, sorry what are we talking about here right tft will you stop talking about tft it's not going anywhere <laughs> i love stop. it stop i don't care what you love it doesn't make any freaking money dude and a hundred million dollars is mice nuts for Riot. They're like make more than north of two billion dollars a year, right? How many bodies did they put against these games, these opportunities to generate only a hundred million dollars? Like, how many bodies are on League of Legend, right? And let's compare, like, revenue per player user, right, or revenue per employee. I don't even know if sure they're break even on these games, given the costs, development costs, marketing, ongoing overhead, like live ops and stuff.
My my whole thing with these guys is they need to make games that are more in line with the c- consumer demand in the West. Period. Right? They need a better to think about what people play and spend money on and 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 work on those type of games with their amazing IP. You know. So anyway, that's my whole spiel on this. But that's Suf- not a good performance, right? Suford, have you played Wild Rift? Because I remember you were you were deep into vainglory. No, I didn't, I haven't played Wild Rift. I am I am so busy that I'm just like banning myself from playing any game that I might get addicted to. <laughs> God, I wish I had taken your advice. Dude. Except That's- Northgard. That you can play on a plane as well. <laughs> Actually, I was because I was on a plane the other day. I saw it on my phone and I was thinking, I wonder if I do I want to even mess with opening it up? Can you play it offline? Yeah, you can play it offline. Uh, but on mobile phone, it kind of sucks. So you need to bring your yeah. iPad. Plus, it will suck your battery like nothing else. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> yeah. So... All right, moving on. So Blizzard President J. Allen Brack is out in the wake of discrimination, lawsuit, employee walkout. And this was from, I can't remember, but there's lots of articles about this. But this is from Los Angeles Times, which I thought was, I don't know why I picked this one, but I thought it was better. So basically he's stepping down as of yesterday and he will be replaced by Jen O'Neill and Mike Ybarra. Most likely no one knows who these people are, but they are relatively newcomers to Blizzard, which is part of the big problem that I see with this whole move. You know, I, I'm not going to really talk or touch on the ongoing lawsuit, but I just want to kind of discuss why, what I think about this new management change for Blizzard. First of all, I think Jay Allen was kind of on his way out to begin with. I think, you know, people have seen him recently and he's like aged 10 years over the last two years since he took over from Morheim. He looks like Obama after eight years of his presidency, <laughs> you know, like I, I think this is probably accelerating his departure, you know, and, and obviously using him as sort of a scape, scapegoat even though I know he's partially to blame. I'm not suggesting he's not. I'm just saying, you know, this was a convenient way of, of getting rid of an executive that was probably leaving anyway. I, I do think this is a new era for Blizzard. I, I think, you know, this is kind of the nail in the coffin in terms of all the OGs. Like all the OGs are completely out, you know, in terms of having real direct responsibility for the creative direction of the company, which is the critical point here. These are Bobby's people. Make no mistake, Bobby is now in complete control of Blizzard, right? So it's his ship now, and these 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 two executives are his people, right? So we'll see. My my biggest issue with these two is that they have very little experience of managing creative companies. Not that they have little experience; they have lots of experience, and they have lots of gaming experience. But they have never really created both manage like a creative company and creative people, right? Because they are not creative people in by by Blizzard standards in particular. So so managing a company that has been one of the most creative companies in the world for the last 25 years is going to be a challenge because that is the hardest part in this business, as I've said many times. Mike Yabara, as far as I understand, is a really hardcore wow guy who still fucking raids and does all kinds of crazy shit. But he's a primarily a platform guy, right? He has 20 years of experience on Xbox on the platform side. So not really a game development. Jen O'Neill, I don't know her either, but she spent her whole career porting games from, from on other platforms for other publishers, right? She basically ran, run an outsourcing company for 13 years, I think it was. You know, they, for instance, they made all the iOS and Android versions of Skylanders and all the secondary Skylander ports for 10 years, they were doing that for Activision. So again, whether or not she they're capable of actually managing this type of creative studio is I think a little bit questionable at best. Now, on the other hand, like trying to change the hat a little bit, this could be actually good for the company per se, 
not for Blizzard, but for Activision. You know, like, again, I keep telling you guys, I'm on two sides of this always, right? I'm talking on both sides of my mouth because I have to think from the investor's perspective, but also think from a fanboy Blizzard perspective, right? And from a company perspective, it seems like they may be able to get more games out. They may have, you know, stick to schedules because it looks like Jen and Mike are, are pretty like hardcore in terms of, you know, process and getting this stuff done. It's, this is speculation on my point, but the, but there's going to be less friction and less friction is good, right? Because what Bobby wants is what Bobby wants. And so now they have people in place to actually execute against that vision on, on what they're going to do. So here's what I kind of expect just in the short, short to medium term. I would expect further exodus of talent from Blizzard, you know, producer, creative directors, those type of people that don't are not aligned with their the, these ideas that that should continue and it's been going on for years now so that's no big surprise i constantly am hearing about people the exodus of people out of blizzard that are going to different places and that continues as we've said many times i i continue to delays of all these games right i think the Di uh, diablo mortal moved again to the beginning of next year which may or may not happen right overwatch doesn't even seem to be close despite some nonsense that they're talking about on these calls and Diablo four seems like ages away. Right. So continued delays uh, of content is I would expect, I would expect just le less creative vision out of the blizzard titles generally, like it's more by the numbers development, implementing systems that they, you know, mechanics from call of duty, things that like make money and, and do that. So like, I think the, the types of games that they are going to make is going to change and, or, Maybe the, the games are going to be the same, but the mechanics within the games are going to be modified clearly to kind of modernize and, and create the software as a service idea. I do think we'll see some very poor performance relative to expectations on things like Overwatch, Diablo, Mortal. I think Overwatch could do half the amount of units that it did last time. I mean, half if, at best, at best. And I can explain to you why, but I'm not going to do that right now. Diablo 4 will always be fine because they could put out a pile of crap and they would sell 20 million of this thing. So I, I, I don't... I bet by the time this thing comes out, it's not going to be well received by, by the fanboys, but it, but it should still do extremely well because it is Diablo 4. And I'm actually getting more and more worried about WoW. Not that I'm now a convert <laughs> to Final Fantasy, but the World of Warcraft thing is a little bit scary because we, they've, they've missed... I don't know. I don't want to get too dorky about this, but they've missed before and, and not created the right type of content to keep people engaged. But this is like more egregious, right? Because mm. not only... Did they take eight months to release something new for this last expansion? It was not well received. And now there's alternatives and people like flocking to other games. And so that scares the shit out of me because they don't have another expansion for a year and a half. Right. So anyway, I'm, I am worried about WoW in, in, in general. But back to the positive side, I'm going to say this again, less friction. You know, they may be able to get games once they get through these this pain and, and this transition of, of management, they, they may be able to get games out on a more regular cadence and, and kind of like change the way the studio works in theory. But I think overall, this is really bad news for Blizzard and big changes in store with this new leadership and how they manage things going forward. Now, they both were on the earnings call last yesterday, which I was a little bit surprised, like so soon, which basically lends the kind of kind of to my idea is that they they were likely think, considering moving these guys into this position before this all happened, because you can't do this in a week, right? And have them all ready to go. I, I don't think so anyway. So it looks like this transition was might've been planned before this whole mess. And then, and then finally, I think, you know, the coverage on this is so inconsistent and so all over the place. I mean, I, I was listening to someone talking about the fact that, oh, well, maybe it's been Blizzard all this time that has the poor culture and the Activision needs to go in and fix it, right? 
It's like shit like that. And I'm like, oh my God, they're totally like flipping the script here. You know, like Activision is the predator here, right? And, and Blizzard is the prey, you know, it's like, you can't flip the switch now because they have like these, these issues that come up, you know, with, anyway. So uh, take everything you read with a grain of salt on this. I, I think we'll get more and more information as we, as we move forward. And I may be dead wrong on this stuff too. I don't know, but I, I, I from all my, my sources and, and conversations and been following this so long, I think that's the kind of thing I, I, is that I think what I said was likely is going to happen over the next couple of years. So we'll see. I, I don't know, but the but the Blizzard culture. I've heard that it was pretty, it was pretty frat boy going back a long time. Do you remember that guy? Maybe you don't remember this, but the guy who had the blog. It was Schlong Lore. And he, uh, <laughs> See, he, that's the blog name I should have picked. Fuck. Yeah, well, he beat you to it. But it's this guy, <laughs> Schlong, Schlong Lore was his name, and he wrote this blog, and it was just like. It was like pre. This was like two thousand and whatever, two or three. But it was like, it was very, very like, like now would be considered like dark, like men's rights activist stuff. Like this guy was like anti women and all this stuff, and and he ended up getting a job at Blizzard. They hired him based on the blog as like a community lead or something. I, I might be getting the details wrong here, but anyway, this guy got hired by Blizzard because of his blog, mm -hmm. and the content of which was like. I don't know. It felt like it, 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 teeter, it, it, it sort of like teetered in that direction. And I feel like I, and I talked to somebody about that who worked at Blizzard later, like a couple years later. And, and he was telling me that like the, yeah, the, the, the atmosphere at Blizzard was, was kind of like frat boyish. And, and that just, you know, felt like a validating point there. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my, my understanding was that, that, that was kind of the atmosphere mm -hmm. there. I don't know anything yeah. about, I don't really know anybody that works at Activision. But you get you get like a sword at Blizzard when you're a certain amount of time there, and then you get a shield, and you can kind of collect the whole set. So, uh, you know that kind of implicates that that the, the culture yeah. is is skewed maybe towards a certain direction. But I actually had a bunch of questions for Crest. So you mentioned that 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 Bobby is getting in charge. Like, has he not been in charge of Blizzard? Or like, what, well, what's well under Morheim's rule, he was the, he was basically the go between, right? So he was like kind of the buffer between what Bobby wants and what blizzard wants and i don't want to this is a long history mm -hmm, and i you know I, but but the but the but when world of warcraft was doing well and then overwatch and then other things you know all these games came out they were they're killing it right and so like they were left alone and when that that's what happens <laughs> when you mm -hmm. do well but when things started to fall with wow and hearthstone and others like and 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 you know this overwatch like all these issues happened that's when bobby started to get you know pay more attention and start making changes and mm -hmm. and I'm not going to go into the long history that we've talked about many times, but it's been a, been train wreck, right? Ever since. Do you think? Do you think this has a ripple effect on all the ex Blizzard startups? Because there's been several, and they're really, really well funded. And you're, you know, you're talking about Blizzard people leaving the company, especially the uh, the old guard leaving the company. Now, say, well, Riot is a big hire of ex Blizzards. Now, it might be quite difficult to get a job because you have to go through this crazy vetting you know, investigation peer, I don't know, hire investigators or whatnot to go through your Facebook history. So you're not in those Cosby rooms or whatever they call them. Like how, <laughs> like, does, do you think it will have an, uh, a ripple effect on, on, on the, the explicit startups? Like what's your take? No, I don't no? think so at all. I, I think it actually makes it harder for Blizzard to recruit, you know, in general. Like I think, I think it impacts Blizzard more than it'll impact those that have left. Right. Because in some ways, 
Yeah, but I don't want to get into this because uh, I just think, yeah, not, not, not everyone's innocent that's gone and started on these startups, I'm sure, but, but they're more insulated. They're not, they're, they're not in the line of fire, right? Yeah. Compared to everyone at Blizzard, right? So now Blizzard has to always have these, they're going to have lots of controls and lots of like red tape in order to hire people. It's going to, mm. you know, I think it creates more challenges for Blizzard, not necessarily. Yeah. Unless photos like, appear again, once again, with, with all these, all these craziness. Yeah, yeah, well, that is definitely like we talked about last week. That's the other thing is that we're just going to keep hearing these stories mm-hmm. um, of of things that happened in the past. So. I don't know. Interesting times. Did you- did either of you see that video of it was at uh, BlizzCon of the woman asking like the panel of wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. producers, and I think one of them was like a, an exec at at Blizzard about like, hey, could you could you create some female characters that aren't so sexualized, right? Like wearing a skimpy suits yes. and. You know, with the exaggerated features, and they just like laughed at her. I mean, that was like <laughs> that. It was. I, it's. It's so cringeworthy. It's. It's so cringy to watch. I mean, you just you 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 get well, angry watching it. <laughs> that shouldn't have been. I mean, that certainly like wasn't okay then, right? And I, I don't remember the date of the video, but I think it was like it was maybe ten years old or something. It, I don't know. I, I'm 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 bad on facts today. It might have been newer than that, but I feel like it was ten years old ish. But like. I, I just feel like if that happened today, if that exact thing happened today, I mean, it would in- instantly be an immediate outrage. It was, it, there was an outrage back then too, I think. Was there? I think a small outrage, but not compared to what, the, you know, the, the environment that we're in right now. So, so I found the video. It was from 2010. Mm-hmm. Let me see what the video name is called. It's got 1.4 million views. I'm not able to. <laughs> I, I almost I if I can get the link thought about like, Jamie, pull up the video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's so I'm reading I'm reading a tweet that has it integrated and it says, oh, you know, the tweet text says, oh, God, I had not seen this before. It's heartbreaking. Here's a 2010 BlizzCon panel in which a fan was brave enough to ask a panel full of men, including Jay Allen Brack and Alex Afrasiabi, whether yeah. their scope for some of WoW's female characters to be less sexualized. And like I, I that was I mean, it probably took a lot of courage to stand up. I mean, you see her in the crowd and she's just surrounded by men. Right. And, and it's just like kind of this low, lone woman in a sea of, of guys. And she asked this question and they just, they just, they, I mean, they're just so rude and dismissive and condescending. It's like, it's, it's gross to watch. I mean, it really, it really is like uncomfortable to watch. And, and it's like hard to believe that that happened. And it's just like, well, this is like such an indictment. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. All right, moving on to maybe a lighter note. <laughs> I don't know about this. This is pretty brutal, too. So uh, the article title is Tencent Tanks 10% After Chinese Media Calls Online Gaming Opium as Regulatory Concerns Mount. So I'm just, I'll, I'll read from the article now. Shares of Tencent and NetEase plunged on Tuesday after Chinese state media branded online gaming opium and likened it to a drug. The article also called for further restrictions on the industry in order to prevent addiction and other negative impacts on children. Tencent shares closed around 6% lower, while NetEase closed down almost 8% in Hong Kong, with both companies clawing back some earlier losses. Tencent is one of the world's largest gaming companies responsible for high-profile games like Honor of Kings. So th- there, there was an article from a state agency that called gaming spiritual opium. And that actually is probably more impactful than then you might, you know, at first blush, realize opium is a sensitive subject in China. So, so China ceded Hong, the Hong Kong, Hong Kong Island to, Brit, to Britain in perpetuity in 1842 at the end of the first opium war, which was fought over Britain's export of the drug to China, where addiction became widespread. So there's a history in China of opium 
being this thing that caused kind of like lasting damage to the country is not just like a throw, you know, bad thing, you know, kind of go to word. It's it actually there's like sort of deep scars kind of culturally around opium. And so for, you know, for the state agency to call something opium, it's it's, it's more meaningful than it, than it would be maybe in the US. So I'm uh, reading from a different article, the title of which is 10 cent vows, fresh gaming curbs after spiritual opium attack zaps 60 billion. So ec- the economic information daily cited 10 cents honor of Kings in an article, which it said miners were addicted to online games and called for more curbs on the industry. The outlet is affiliated with China's biggest state run news agency, Xinhua. China's 10 cent holdings said on Tuesday, it would further curb miners' access to its flagship video game hours after its shares were battered by a state media article that described online games as spiritual opium. So what you have here is, you know, the, the Chinese government essentially, you know, coming out with a very strong stance on, you know, the way these games operate, you know, the, the way that they believe that, you know, the, the, the games are, are sort of like having an adverse effect, particularly on children. And, and you know, I was talking to some people about this and, you know, there's, there's kind of an effort in, in China, you know, China's, you know, it's, it's a command economy, right? It's just, they have, they have a planned, uh, planned economy and a, a planned state, right? And they've got an education program and the education program, I believe the sort of the timeline for that runs through 2035. And so they have like, they, they plan curriculum for, for people of all ages. And, and I think, you know, the direction that's moving into is one that's, that's probably a little bit more, you know, gracious and, and charitable to the sort of, you know, Chinese ideals and, and the, the idea and the sort of like ideology of the CCP, then, then sort of like Western curriculum might be right. It's, it's very specifically designed, you know, around that. And so, you know, these games being things that children, access and play it, it, it potentially is at odds with that right but i think that's that's one you know kind of explanation for this another is that you know the Chi- china china's the chinese government the ccp has been you know very kind of invested and active in steering big chinese tech in a certain direction right and, and part of that is is with a more privacy controls right you know you might remember a couple months ago or was it even that long ago the um the idea of the caid Right, this idea that these companies would get together and they would build the CIID, and it would be this kind of like persistent identity infrastructure that would allow them to that 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 would allow them to sidestep ATT, but also would just give like it would be like a Chinese identifier for all Chinese devices that all you know that, that was built in real time based on IP addresses. And the Chinese government actually stepped in and said, "No, you can't do this." And that was in, in alignment with their policy of like, "No, you the Chinese like." Which has been to sort of intervene in how the Chinese, some some large uh, Chinese companies have been collecting user data. So the Chinese government has been sort of like very, very proactive in preventing some of these privacy abuses, right? That we're seeing companies in the U.S. Now, you know be you know sort of be punished for. And so you, you see like a very sort of like active Chinese government that you know with within the sort of like kind of private sector of the company, but especially within the technology sector, kind of issuing like regulation by kind of fiat, which they can, but also just just having an article that says this kind of thing is enough to spook investors and see, you know, 10%, you know, 60, well, like I, like I quoted $60 billion, you just evaporate from a company's market cap. So I, I just, I just finished a great book called Boom and Bust that, that chronicles the various financial bubbles throughout history. And the last chapter is about the two bubbles in the Chinese stock market in 2007, 2008, and then in 2000, um, in 2017. And, and both, so both of these bubbles, so the, the, the 2007-2008 bubble, it saw the, the, the Shanghai and Shenzhen markets up 130 and 98% respectively. And with by the end of October 2008, those markets falling 71% and 68% respectively. And then in 2017, both markets saw a rally in the summer with, that was followed by a sharp decline that saw 28, 28.6% and 33 
33.2% sort of wiped out from, from, the mar- from the markets respectively, right? So, so both bubbles were created and sustained by the government, but the reasons for them were different. In 2007, Chinese authorities were attempting to privatize listed companies by converting their non-tradable state-owned shares into tradable shares, and the state manufactured a bubble in stock by persuading individual investors to purchase the shares, right? So because there's capital controls in China, citizens can't really send their money abroad, and there's no real centralized retirement saving system that made the the stock market the best tool for citizens to increase their wealth. And so a lot of retail investors kind of just drove the stocks way up, these stocks that were sort of like becoming tradable for the first time. And the 2017 bubble was caused by loosening of regulation around retail investing with an estimated 20 to 25% of China's stock market capitalization represented by margin lending in 2015. And that was at one of the highest levels for any stock market of, in all time, right? So we, we've seen this historically, it's, it's tough to mix a kind of uh, command control system with, with like the, with the very sort of like capitalistic implement, which is a stock market, right? It's tough to do that. It creates a lot of volatility. I mean, it creates, you know, the extreme swings. And, and so I think like, that's just kind of what you get when you invest in in China, you get you just get you have to accept that, that that kind of broad range of potential outcomes. Like the Chinese government gets involved, and if if it's in favor of the company that you like or that you're invested in, you could make a lot of money. And if they get involved, then it's it's uh, it's sort of uh, you know inimical to the company that you like. You could lose a lot of money, and that's that's just sort of like the 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 kind of um, you know the, the the rules of the game there. And and so I think it's interesting to see this happening now. Now you know there's also some other elements, some cultural elements that are driving that, but like that's you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just what you expect as an investor in Chinese companies. There's these big swings based on whether the Chinese government likes your company or doesn't like your company. One thing that I just kind of in reading more about this story and getting some more background, I found interesting is that uh, a Dutch listed company called Prosys owns roughly 28.9% of Tencent, having purchased 45% of the company back in 2001. Now, 73.2% of Prosys is owned by Naspers, which is a South African holding company that's in the process of reducing its stake in process to 57.2%. So we, we, you know, and, and we know famously that, well, you know, lots of, you know, t- 10 cent was a, was, was a big win for a lot of companies. Investors in that company made a lot of money over, you know, the course of 20 years for 10 cent having become one of the biggest tech companies in the world. But it's just interesting. I didn't know, I didn't know that the ownership structure was that, that there was that heavy of a, of a, of a, of a, percentage owned by a company called process, which I'd actually never heard of. But anyway, I was just, just pointing that out because I thought it was interesting. Mm. Holy crap. I didn't know that. All right. I, I have this conversation all the time about investing in Chinese names. So the, there's three things that are happening with with the you know the risks around these names and the volatility that you're talking about. The one is kind of what you're talking about, where you know the government is doing these you know in crazy random like policies against certain industries that send shockwaves throughout it, right? And that's kind of what's happening, you know, with with these ideas of regulation and, and timing and all the stuff of gameplay, right? But the other two are in in a communist control type economy, like you want to have control over your people. But the fact is these companies get so big that they start to exert control over the country, right? And so they want to limit their ability to control the country. And so these regulations are put in place in order for them to maintain more control, right? That was the second thing that people always talk about. And the third thing is that the people in charge of these companies become bigger than life and get more power in the, and, and, and it's part of, part of these restrictions are trying to limit the power of the, the guy from Alibaba, right. Who's like disappeared, right. Jack Ma. <laughs> like, yeah. Jack Ma. And then like, you know, these guys at 10 cents. So like they're balancing the power of both the people as well as the companies within the country to, to maintain the type of control that you need in the communist you know, regime. So 
that those are like the kind of dynamics that are going on. And I was like, seeing these regulations come out of nowhere, right? Or what seemed like come out of nowhere. And I got kind of spooked and pulled out of my 10 cent position like, like like last year, but the stock is like, I mean, these stocks are getting destroyed, you know, relative to where they are and relative to their, the fundamentals of the companies, which are, are relatively strong, continue to be strong. But in an era in which these regulations are coming out of nowhere, you know, you really, it's it's just, you know, dicey. So anyway, those are the, that's what we talk about. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I think it was the company was called Didi, and it was I think it was a Nasdaq. It, it lost like forty percent of its value. Didi was was seen as the Uber for China, and I believe what happened was that the app was just removed from the store because of you know whatever compliance issues and so forth. So those are those are again massive hits to these companies that 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 are just you know on a, almost a whim regulated into death. So, but yeah, I, Eric, you mentioned that article. It was like a, from a state, state media. They called the spiritual opium and 60 billion uh, from the, uh, from the market cap evaporate from Tencent. And overall, like when you look at the Tencent stock for the last six months, it's down by almost 40%. And, and primarily this is just driven by the regulatory worries because the gaming industry and, and you know, overall tech is doing phenomenally well. And, and we see kind of Tencent taking, taking pre, pre, uh, preemptive steps to, to, you know, to bow down to, to, the, to the regulatory pressure. So one thing is that they, they have, they're restricting how young children engage with their games. So for example, players under age of 12 are now prevented from spending cash in game. And and the and the other uh, restrictions are tweaked towards minors in a way that that they can't play more than one hour a day. And if it's a state holiday, you know, a communist holiday, I don't. I think it's uh, two hours a day on a holiday. So like crazy, crazy policies. And even before that, they implemented this this curfew on their game so that the kids are not playing at night. So on one hand, like it seems seems that the government is is kind of overstepping the boundaries and not allowing the individual freedom. But, <laughs> you know, you have to look at it on the other side uh, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the coin and like, maybe it's good that kids are not playing that much. <laughs> I know it's wrong thing to say as a game developer uh, and as an app developer, but, but on the other hand, I, I think there's a, there's a positive tone to this as well. But yeah, I don't know. I just want to see a positive side and everything. So why does everything get so fucking political? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's not, it's not political. Like, I, okay, I'm just uh, mirroring my own kid. Like, we we gave her iPad for a long time during these lockdowns and so forth. She was playing games and watching videos and, and so forth. And she was acting horribly. And now we kind of took away the iPad. And, it, and me and my wife are like, what happened? Like, she just changed. So I'm kind of thinking about that a little bit and kind of like my own empirical evidence of one and, and just thinking about like, well, it might, it might not be that bad that the kids are not playing that much. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's something that my wife and I've been thinking a lot about. I mean, you know, we, you just, you just had to like during yeah. lockdown, like what was the alternative? And so we got an iPad for our son that was just only for plane rides and only for car rides. Mm -hmm. And that evolved into like every once in a while. And now like, you know, now it's like a pretty regular part of his day. And it, we and we tried to cut it way back. The problem is my mom, his grandma, anytime she's around, it's just she hands her phone to him and he's so he's just <laughs> perma scrolling through YouTube, like, which is scary. And social um, casino. 
<laughs> in social casino games. You know, I only, lo- I only load his wallet up with a hundred bucks a month though. So he can't, he can't spend that much. Um, but it's just like, well, what do you, what do you do? I don't know. There's no real rule book here. This is like a kind of a new phenomenon, but I, what I, what I would prefer doesn't happen is the U S government step in and tell me how much time my son can play with his phone. But you know, I grew up in the U S and, and those are the cultural norms that I'm accustomed yeah. to. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's just, it is like, I was reading a, a, a tweet thread from Gavin Baker, uh, just just a couple of days ago and I can't seem to find it now but he had a he had a good point and I've I've kind of adopted the same attitude it's just like he he doesn't know China and he he's in despite like kind of have going there like I don't know every year for like the last x years he he just doesn't know it and he doesn't invest there because it's just like I feel like it's just it's it's so inscrutable to people outside of the country I don't understand it mm-hmm. like what what do I know and and that's why like the Cade stuff came up and I, at one point I was just like I'm not gonna I'm not going to make any predictions here because I have no idea. I, I, yeah. I, there's no way I could ever parse the reality here from what I'm receiving in the Western media. I just, there's just a, it's, it's just, it's totally impossible to understand it from a cultural perspective, you know, obviously from a language perspective, but just like, I can't understand what's going on there. So I have to just sort of accept that. And so like, it just makes investing there very risky for, for outsiders who don't really understand the place. Yeah. And that is the big point. Like you cannot put, a Western lens on what's going on in China. And so like, you just, unless you're, you can't, you just can't do that. Right. Otherwise you're going to fail and you're not, there's no way you can understand. There's no understanding there. So it's a different place. And I think not to get political, too political, but I think Western people, particularly U S people really always seem to forget that, you know, that people don't live like us. Sorry. You see this, 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 uh, this kind of like repeated, like just just lack of awareness and like bravado and, and ego of like Silicon Valley companies, like we're gonna we're gonna be the ones that crack the Chinese, but and it's there's just a graveyard of Silicon <laughs> Valley companies spending tons and tons of money. I remember Groupon, their CEO was that like really outspoken kind of uh, bombastic guy. He's like, no, 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 Groupon's gonna be the first ever Silicon Valley company to crack the Chinese market, and like they spent they hired like a thousand people there over the course of a month and and then it just it just died it just went to z like that whole operation went to zero and and you know uber like the only reason they were able to do anything i think was they they gave up but like they had a i think they they had invested in dd or in dd invested in them or Mm -hmm. something but like it's just you can't do it like you can't crack but i think it's good to end on this political note and and just say like subscribe we're gonna post by the way some of the clips in the youtube channel so if you want to see eric dungeon no that's not a dungeon you have a, you have a like an expensive setup for podcasting um, oh yeah yeah you have like if you want to check out super it's amazing a setup go to youtube and if you want to check cress's super seller <laughs> then that is that is fully visible but we're gonna put in different type of clips out there you know, don't expect any editing because ain't nobody got time for that. And yeah, like, subscribe, send us questions, send us your opinions, and we we always read them and, and reply to them on this podcast. So All thanks. Right. And till next week. Later. See you guys.